Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. The week of February 22nd. We've got a whole bunch of good stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about some of the racing over the weekend, some crazy echelons at the UAE Tour, some climbs at the Tour de Alpe Maritime Eduvar. That's quite a long race name. Uh, we're going to talk about Theo Gegenhardt's pretty spectacular initiative and a, well, I think it's safe to say disappointing decision about Patrick Van Gensen, who was accused of abusing his riders early in the year. We'll get into that a little bit later. We're also going to hear from Nelson Vales about, well, a whole bunch of different things. And in today's Nerd Nuggets, the new Nerd Alert, we're talking about SRAM's purchase of Time Pedals, which includes the road, mountain bike, and all related components, and what we think that might mean. We've got the usual crew with us here today. Hello, James. You have a lovely Google Meet background of some sort of green fish situation oh, you, happening. You, you kind of ruined it, Kaylee. I mean, I was hoping oh, you know, later on when we record the video part of this that people are actually going to think that's my real wallpaper. <laughs> I thought it was for a little bit. Uh, Shoddy Dave, you have 1.2 headphones going on. No, 0.2 headphones going on at the moment. Yeah, floppy. It literally broke. About 30 seconds before I wandered in here. I'm all upset. And my fancy ones as well. Noise cancelling. So at least I can I'm, can hear out of one ear now, but I've noise cancellation out me other one. Sad. Abby, in your beautiful flower chair again. My grandma chair from Ikea, indeed. Yep, exactly. And Dan Cash, uh, your walls are looking a little bit bare over there. I think you need to go buy some art. There's there's stuff actually right behind me. I just block it. Oh, there we go. With my head. Uh. But yeah. So, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Let's get into today's episode, but before we do, Shoddy Dave, what are we learning about Continental this week? Right, last week during the Nerd Nugget segments, James talked about the e-bike act in Congress. That's over in the USA, not here, of course, in Europe. As a follow-up to that, we wanted to learn a bit about the Continental's best urban tyre, inspired by metro lines in the cities. The Continental contact... Continental, Dave. Continental. I'll get, I'll get there. Like I say, we've got a year to get Continental, right? The Continental contact urban tyres are designed for riding in the city. They have specific puncture protection called Safety Pro to keep you on time no matter what, which is uh, not what I was today. But that's my headphone situation. That's another story. <laughs> Speaking of being on time, the contact urban tyres have a light roll resistance so you can cruise around quickly and easily. Riding in the city can be dangerous, of course, especially at night. So these tyres have fancy reflective sidewalls. Although, obviously, here at CT, we do recommend that you always should use lights, no matter what. David... But- I understand that these tires will help me stay safe when riding in the city at night. What if I encounter a mugger? Can I use this tire in self-defense mode? I'm, this is it. Well, let me have a little think. I did once want watch an episode of the BBC One program called Casualty that many people might know. Hospital-based drama, Saturday, been going for decades now. And a guy did attack a mugger once with a spoke from his bike, accidentally killing him. <laughs> As a, as a brief side note, I've actually had the winter version 
of the contact on my bike for a while. I don't even know if they sell these anymore. No, they but do. I love they them. Definitely they're do. like a they're they're a non-studded winter tire, so it's kind of the same concept as like a winter car tire, where there's just lots of siping and the rubber's really kind of soft and uh, designed to work in really cold temperatures. And I found that they are pretty incredible uh, when dealing with slippery conditions. They're not, obviously not as good as an actual studded tire, but for commuting around town here in Boulder in the winter time, very confidence-inspiring. Total as an aside, but they've been on my bike. I think they the front one has now lasted like seven years or six years it's been on there for a very very long time the rear one wore out a while ago but the front one has been on there for a very very long time so my little personal personal suggestion that's either last forever or you don't do much riding <laughs> let's move on with the rest of the show thanks to conti as always for sponsoring today's episode let's get into the news dane you're back from your your illness you can give us the news once again where do we want to start maybe maybe with the uae tour your favorite race so much so that you ended up staying yes a little extra time last year just because you loved it so much well actually to be honest i i did make my originally planned flight uh which was kind of wild last year uh even though i ended up staying in a hotel room a little longer than expected uh yeah uae tour going on right now uh, there's been plenty of news already two days into the race. Uh, so, Matthew Vanderpool won the first stage. Uh, a windy first day. There were echelons in the desert, and it was quite an active day. Uh, yeah, a lot of action. Uh, only 23, 21, some, some, some in the 20s area, number of riders made it to the finish in the lead group, and then most of the rest of the peloton were than eight minutes down. So the GC already really shook up in the first day. Matthew Vanderpool with the stage win. Vanderpool did not start stage two, however, because there was a positive COVID test on the Alpes and Fenix team, which meant that they were pulled from the race. So Vanderpool got a quick win in and then left the race. Uh, the race did continue, though. So stage two, Monday morning, uh, was a time trial. And Philip Ogana, the world time trial champion, was one of the heaviest favorites for a TT that you will see. And he duly won the time trial. Uh, Tadej Pogacar had a nice day out, and he now leads the race. So that's good for the UAE Tour, because they can say the Tour de France winner is leading their bike race right now. Uh, and he's certainly got an inside track on the overall. It's basically him and Adam Yates, but he now has a 39-second lead over Yates. So... Yeah, just two days into the UAE Tour, and we haven't had a mountain stage, and there is already a lot of GC shakeup. Quick, quick note here. Uh, second place, Stefan Bisseger. We like to, we like to sort of point out when young riders are, are a name that you may want to keep an eye on. So this this guy was a, uh, a stagiaire with EF in August of last year. Started in August of last year and then signed on to the full World, world Tour team uh, for good. Uh, this beginning of this year and so this is basically one of his first races as a real world tour rider um and second place for him not too far behind Filippo Ghana very young young guy to keep an eye on again one of those names that you're going to hear again over the next couple of years I am sure uh yeah he's, he's going to do good things that's all I had did over Tade Pogacar one of those young names who I think is going to be doing a lot over the next couple of years. I don't know. 
I think he's a little overblown. <laughs> uh, still only 22. Uh, yeah, so UAE Tour still has a, several days left of racing, and the first two, while the race itself was obviously uh, had a, a bit of unwanted news with the COVID stuff, the, the two days so far have actually been quite good uh, racing, and there's still five days left. So, uh, yeah, recommend checking that out. They climb up uh, Jebel Hafiz on Tuesday. They go to Jebel Jais on Thursday. Those are the two big climbs on tap this year. So uh, hopefully there will be some action. I mean, Pogacar being 39 seconds up already is going to be tough to beat. But big names, a lot of big names in action at that race. So a lot of action yeah, to watch. Yeah, there's not not many climbers made that front group. We've got Pogacar, maybe Joao Almeida is up there. Danny Martinez in his debut as an Ineos Grenadier. So it's, it's you know, a small handful of riders that didn't come in a fair ways back. Uh, yeah, that are, that are going to be contesting for that. Yeah, nice job by the guys who did stay up there on the first stage to make that front echelon and and you know make such a big difference on an otherwise uh, not very climber friendly kind of day. There are no categories climbs on the profile of that first stage. I don't think many people expect it to be a big GC day, but yeah, Matthew Vanderpool and Co managed to drop everybody else behind them, so made a big difference. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of racing going on in Europe uh, where. The former Tour du Haut-Var was going on. Uh, Kaylee, as you mentioned in the in the run-up, it is now the Tour des Alpes Maritimes et Duvar. A Duvar. A Duvar. Uh, yeah. And you're saying way too many of the consonants. Yeah, but it, you know. it's not as catchy <laughs> as Tour de Haut-Var. Just gonna say that. Nope. That's easy. You're doing you're doing good, uh, Dane. Thanks, Dave. As a man living in France, you, you're past no problem, mate. Excellent. All right, great. That sounds good. Uh, yes, the former Tour de Haute-Var. Uh, another race that normally I think you'd see some big names here and there, but because of the fact that like half of the early season races have been canceled or postponed, the races that remain that are still going on have seen their start lists uh, Yeah, pick up a bunch of great uh, big names that they might not otherwise have. Uh, that's, that was definitely the case at... The Tour des Alpes Maritimes et Duvar, uh, where Mike Woods had a nice big stage win over the weekend. Uh, really impressive um, uphill, exploding to victory. So Balcomolema took the first stage win. Woods won the second stage. Uh, but Trek ended up kind of getting a little bit of revenge. Took the third and final stage, Gianluca Brambilla, and uh, won the overall race. So nice job from Brambilla. Uh, and just nice to see a lot of those big names in action and, and actually winning stages or, or getting up there. I mean, the, the whole top 10, uh, Brambila, Mike Woods, Bakamolama, Rudy Molar, Ben O'Connor, David Godu, Valentin Madois, Jacob Fulsong, Nairo Quintana, Teo Gegenhart. So for a 2.1 rated event, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good top 10 that I don't think you would see at a lot of other 2.1 rated events. Uh, so yeah, a lot of big names are, are getting their first race of the season in. And in many cases, doing quite well. First win for Brumby in like four and a half years, I think. Something like it was the Vuelta four years ago or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he won a Giro stage one a little while back that same year. And then had... Yeah. Yeah. Nice Because he was on fire. He was on fire for a year or two there. I was actually... I was I was in a... In, uh, well, now EF team car behind him the day that he won that Giro stage. And he just rode away from his breakaway companion. Super impressive. But then he kind of went quiet for a couple of years. So, yeah, good to see him back. He's a super punchy, dynamic rider. 
if he's found his form again this year, he's going to be interesting to watch. Dan, on, on your comment about <clears throat> about getting that sort of roster into a into a two point one race, Kaylee, I think you need to start marketing your secret growed a little bit more because I think <laughs> if you if you promote that as having a very high probability of 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 actually going on, then I think you might be able to to step up your roster of that thing a little bit. <laughs> we'll get a full world tour, a couple world tour teams yeah, to show up. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any winners of secret grud which makes it a little bit less enticing i think for a professional cycling team uh but you do get to do some push-ups so that's exciting i feel like for not being a uci rated event at all you already do have a pretty good roster for that that's true that's true we've we've had lachlan show up house show up toms has shown up taylor finney used to show up yeah you know just the the boulder pro illuminati basically (laughs) show up to this thing well Maybe I'll, I'll I'll just give the UCI a ring and see if we can get it on the calendar for May. I think May sounds pretty quiet. See if anyone wants to come out here. Lots of open weekends, no? I hear. What's next, Dane? Well, a quick note as far as what's actually next on the racing con. You got Omo Pet News Plot coming up, which is a little wild. It feels like we were just racing classics. We kind of were because the, the season extended a little farther than normal. Obviously, the, the spring classics are not usually raced in the European fall, but they were last year. Uh, and yeah. You almost had news, but coming up here on the weekend, which is kind of wild. We're going to have some classics racing going on in, in a matter of days. Uh, that should be entertaining on Saturday, seeing seeing all the, well, not all of them, all, quite a few of the big classic stars are going to skip Het Newsblad, as they often do these days. But many of the big classic stars, both the men's and women's pelotons, will be in action on Saturday, which is pretty exciting. And then uh, obviously Kona Brussels Kona uh, follows the Elmopet Newsblad. Um, so yeah, if you're looking forward to seeing the likes of, well, Julien Alaphilippe, for instance, is one of the one of the big names that'll be there this year, uh, trying to see what he can do on the on the classics terrain, on the cobbled classics terrain, uh, along with many other big names, uh, maybe a little uh, better known for their cobbled classics prowess, will be in action there. So that's exciting. Do they skip because of the curse? I would assume that they do. That's what I would or do. because they love racing the Tour des Alpes Maritimes, they do var, uh, and now they want a little break. Um, or because they're at the UAE Tour. I mean, you can do both, but it's not easy. Uh, there will be some people. I mean, assume it's the curse. I yeah, let's, the curse. let's assume that. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, the uh, the last time somebody won Omloop and Flanders was like, has it ever happened? It's been a while. Anyway. It tends to be, uh, yeah, if you win the opener, then you don't win Flanders. So, fair warning to all the pros out there. If you would like to win Flanders, make sure you don't win on Saturday. It's like 30 years, 40 years. I can't remember how How long funny would it be if, like, a, there was a group of favorites that went to the line? It was, like, you know, Philippe and Mess Peterson and, like, favorites and they they got closer to the line and all just kind of slowed down and it was like no no you can go no 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 really you go no it's okay it's okay you go it's kind of like how when like a top pro attends like a really small local event and they don't want to take the win yeah hey you don't want to you don't want the curse if you want to win flanders this year you can't win on loop that's the rule i don't make the rules i just follow them oh be careful out there i don't think so much a curse i think it's a case of I've been to one of the after parties to that race quite a few years ago now before I worked for Cycling Tips as a guest of somebody. And it's the amount of beer that's consumed afterwards. Like, all, all the sponsors are there. 
loads of people, big Belgian party, and then they wheel out the winner for maybe 10 minutes just to wave at everybody, then put him away. But I'm guessing they have a couple of beers tucked away somewhere, <laughs> carry it on, and then that, yeah, that's it. Downhill from there for the rest of the classic season, isn't it? You don't want to peak at Omloop. That's that's really the long and short of it. Dane, we have some, some Teo news, right? Yeah, we mentioned Teo Gegenhardt just a minute ago uh, for his exploits at the Tour des Alpes Maritimes, a Duvar. And uh, he did some, some non—while uh, he was gearing up for the race last week, he, he you know, put out some news uh, away from the actual race itself. So he's had a very busy week. Uh, he announced last week that he will be uh, funding a spot on the Action Hagen's Berman team, which uh, he used to ride for before his days as a Sky slash Ineos rider. Uh, one of the top development teams in the world, based here in the U.S., run by Axel Merckx. Um, Theo Gegenhardt said that he would be funding a spot on the team uh, to sort of uh, boost diversity uh, in, in cycling. Great news from from Teo Gegenhardt, uh, and yeah, that's a I mean that's a great team f- to join as a developing rider. So uh, I think in August um, they're going to yeah take on a rider, uh, which is which is pretty cool. So that's uh, that was announced by by Teo earlier uh, last week. Yeah, and this is self funded, which is pretty amazing. And granted, you know Teo. Just won the Giro. He's probably making a fair amount of money, but this is—I mean—he's probably dumping something in the neighborhood of like thirty to fifty thousand dollars into this. I would guess, um, if you're going to fund, you know, both a rider salary and probably some expenses associated. So it's—it's it's not an insignificant investment, and it's for a pretty fantastic cause. So yeah, three cheers for Teo on this one. Uh, I, I think it's—I think it's an, a, a pretty incredible initiative. Uh, I mean, obviously, it'd be it'd be great if you know there was more stuff like this. We can always ask for more, but this is a pretty good stepping stone, I think. I mentioned this before we hit record here, but I want to try to get Teo on the phone sometime soon. Uh, had a, had a two second text conversation with him via Instagram the other day, and it reminded me that we haven't actually chatted with him in a while. And well, now he's a Giro winner, and he's doing stuff like this, and he's just a He's a really sort of put together rider, uh, so yeah, I'll be I'll reach out to the Ineos folks and see if we can get him on the phone and maybe get him on the podcast because I think that would be excellent. Kind of in the same realm, Live Cycling actually announced last week that they are going to take on Aisha McGowan, who is a very well known c- cyclist in the U.S. Um, she's been in the U.S. crit scene and. And in the U.S. racing scene for a couple years, and she races on her own team for Live Bikes, and she's going to start as a stagiaire this year for for Live Racing on August first. But she will have the backing of the full team as she prepares to be a stagiaire, so she has access to all of their, you know, coaching, doctors, whatever infrastructure that the team already has in place, which is amazing. I mean. Um, that they're they're also kind of get putting their money where their mouth is about more representation within the peloton, which is great. Uh, Dane, we have some less good news. Yeah, uh, that's, that's an understatement. That's we have some really garbage. We have some, we have some garbage savory news. news. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, it's less um, – we're all a little bit sort of uh, irritated, annoyed, angry about this. Uh, Abby, I believe you're going to be writing the story as soon as we're off the podcast. So why don't you fill us in on what's going on with Patrick Van Gansen? Can we just call it bullshit? <laughs> It's, it's bullshit. Yeah. yeah, so in in June of 2019, the story broke that Patrick Van Gansen was um there was multiple complaints by riders of abuse and inappropriate behavior of the Healthmate Cycle Live team against Patrick Van Gansen, who was the manager and director at the time. And since then, there's been a series of different developments in the story. Um it is now over a year since that news broke, which uh, took a while to come to a conclusion. But basically, the in December of 2020, the UCI announced that they had hired an external investigator, Sport Resolutions from the UK, to kind of do a little more digging into this case. And they've finally announced that they have a decision. Basically, they're banning Van Gansen retroactively for three years. So starting in 2019, ending in 2022. So basically only a one-year ban. He hasn't been working in cycling. Like last year, he he was fired from the team. So... and. And the the sponsors left the team as well. So he wasn't working in cycling in 2020. He's told Cycling News that he will not be involved in women's cycling in the future. But I think the reason that we call this bullshit is just because this is... There's so many women who have come out against him, including Liz Hatch, like a, a big name in the sport. So there's been so many statements against him and the fact that the uci didn't give him a life ban i my mind is boggled he got a shorter ban than he got a shorter ban than an athlete gets for uh, a single doping offense so that i think kind of shows you where the uh, like where the focus is for the uci right i mean you know we know from experience that athletes often get pressured into doping for example they, they're part of a system that is not necessarily healthy uh and they get punished pretty heavily for it which you could very much you know you could do four years for a doping offense okay that's i think that's legitimate but then on the other side you you know you point the scope at uh at the top of the food chain and the individuals who are accused of doing some pretty terrible things. Uh, and those accusations are, as you said, Abby, pretty widespread from a lot of different individuals and are pretty nasty. Uh, and that individual gets a three-year ban retroactive, so it's effectively only a one-year ban. And I think that, that that is just totally out of kilter with the offense. Uh, it also doesn't take into the fact, well, the source of... The issue here was this this individual's sort of power over athletes, right? And so if you hand that back to him, the likelihood of him doing it again, I think, is exceptionally high. And so the UCI really, really failed on this one. And I think we can, as we said, call it bullshit. And this is, a, this is an individual who should never work in cycling again. And I don't care if he's promised not to. He should never work in cycling again. The the statement that the women made against against him, it said specifically in the statement that he should not be allowed around young girls in the sport who who how who want to have a future in the sport, but also like period, he shouldn't be around around allowed around young girls. And the fact that like 
they didn't, you know, there's this constant thing in women's cycling and, and maybe men's cycling too. I mean, I don't know where people don't come forward because they, they think what the, what's the point? I mean, in one of the biggest cases that I can remember, the case against Thomas Campania, when Ira Slapendel, Carmen Small, and uh, one other rider came forward and, and went to the UCI w- with, he was withholding prize money and a couple other things. And when all of that came forward, I mean, he basically nothing happened. And he's still working in the sport. Well, he's not this year we that we know of yet. Um, there's always developments that can happen, but his team folded last year and he was still working in the sport up until 2020. So nothing happened. It was multiple people who were saying this one thing and against one person and the one person got off with punishment or any, any repercussions at all. And because of that, and because of cases like this, when there's someone in the sport who has power and there are multiple people who are, you know, the athletes and they want to come forward, they always just say, no, what's the point? Nothing is going to happen. Like, there's no point in coming forward. All we're going to do is get our names our, our names on, you know, in cycling news, in cycling tips, in, in Velo news. Their names are going to be all over the internet. And whoever it is that they're accusing is just, they're going to chalk it up to complaints. And whoever it is is just going to get off scot-free. I mean, th- this is obviously some speculation on my part, but... I think based on past history and sort of somewhat reputation of the UCI, you could almost argue that a lot of this, you could almost argue that this conclusion was almost to be expected because, you know, I I think you can certainly make the argument that the UCI is not so much interested in fixing things so much as they are making it look like they're fixing things. And if the end result of this decision is that fewer people are willing to come forward on complaints like this. Unfortunately, that will sort of help the UCI in some sense because it doesn't necessarily make the problem go away, but if it makes the visibility of the problem look go away, then it looks like the sport is doing better. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, they seem like everything's fine. Yeah, basically reinforces a, a different sort of omerta, right? And that's that... It's that, yeah, it's a that's a... Very cynical, but possibly accurate way, way to view the UCI's reaction here. Uh, I think it's also quite possible that that their regulations are just not robust enough, and that's probably what they would po- they would point to is say, "Well, we've got this, you know, this is the 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 action that was done, and this is the the repercussion, and we've got that written in our in our rules and regulations somewhere because those rules and regulations are not sufficient to actually deal with these situations." So. They can kind of lean on their own inefficient, or their own uh, lack of foresight on this, and you know, like I said, point at their own regulations and say, "Well, we can only give them three years. That's all that our rules allow for." Well, you wrote the rules, right? <laughs> so, but, but if if that were the case, that's not that's not at all dissimilar from a judge making a, you know putting down a sentence that you know this person is subject to so many years in prison or whatever. But based on what they did, I wish I could give them far, a, you know, a far heftier sentence. But I can't based on regulations. I mean, like judges are open to making those sorts of statements. And if that was actually the case, if the UCI really did want to impose a heftier judgment on this person, then they very easily could have said, this is what we're doing. This is all we can do. We wish we could do far more. We are going to revise our regulations so that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. 
They easily could have said I, that. I think they could have banned him for life if they really wanted to. I mean, they probably would have ended up in court for a bit, so that may be what they were trying to avoid. But, yeah. I mean, if the guy says he's not going to come back to cycling anyway, then why why would he care? Why would he drag them into court? He's probably not going to win anyway. Uh, anyway, you know, this, this news came across right before the podcast kicked off this morning, and we were all just pretty disgusted by it. Um, three years for someone who's been credibly accused numerous times of doing some pretty nasty things is just disgusting. Three years retroactive. So, yeah, and it's yeah, three years. Sorry, it's basically one year. We should just call it a one-year ban because that's effectively all it is. Yeah, it's just not – it's a disgrace on the UCI's part. We have no problem saying that. Yeah, I'm very upset. I'm very upset about this. You should be. Everyone should be. This is gra- yeah. This is garbage. It, it's absolute garbage because it's 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 stuff like this that holds all like the entire women's peloton down, right? It really does. And this sort of continuation of things like this, and and you know, Abby, you and I, and and we've heard so many of these stories from about multiple different people within within the women's side of the sport. Uh, this is just one of them. And it's a, it's an ongoing recurring problem, and the UCI has completely failed to take the required action to do anything about it, and they've failed once again this morning. So yeah, we have every right to be angry yeah, and. Disgusted. I know you. I know that you want to move on to happier topics, and I do as well. But I was having a really interesting conversation with Amy Jones, a contributor for Cycling Tips, and also writer of the Women's Cycling Weekly newsletter. If you don't subscribe, check it out. Pretty awesome. Um, her and I were having a conversation. Stick it up on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Go sign up. Yeah, it's on. It's on Cycling Tips on Fridays. Um, but she and I were talking about eating disorders in the sport, and it something that kind of came out of our conversation was that the mental damage that happens within the sport, especially for women, means that when women who could really change the sport by sticking around and becoming directors and becoming coaches and kind of moving into these leadership roles that I'm really sorry, like, I don't mean to generalize, but most of the time, white men take these these roles as directors and coaches and whatever, where they have this power over a number of young impressionable women. If the sport wasn't so damaging mentally, then a lot of women who are in the sport and have experienced it when they're done, they leave because they want to wash their hands. I have, it's probably on a weekly basis that I throw my arms in the air and I'm like, I'm never going to do any change. I want out. This is ridiculous. I'm sick of running this loop. And women, a lot of women who are in the sport, they do that. They leave the sport. And then we, we don't have their expertise where in these places, in, in, these, in these spots where we, we really need them to stick around. And the fact that this guy is still able to be come back in 2022 and run a women's team, I mean, it just this is why this is why these women leave the sport and we don't have them around and it's really really sad because this sport is you know it's a beautiful sport it's amazing i I, the reason i'm here is because i love it but it's also so infuriating for reasons like this guy and the fact that the uci is basically letting him get away with it sorry rant that is my rant (laughs) don't apologize your canadian is showing (laughs) 
Every time Abby apologizes to, <clears throat> apologizes to me on Slack, I have to like send her a little stop it gif. <laughs> stop it. You do not need to apologize. No. Well said. I'm going to leave it at that because you said it better, far better than I ever could. Uh, it's disgusting. And I'm super disappointed. I think we're all super disappointed in the UCI's decision here. With that, for our next little segment, we're actually going to throw to an interview done by our head of social media, Michael Better. Uh, Mike's been around sort of cycling media for a while. He and I actually worked together back at Vela News, and we just recently brought him back over to Cycling Tips. Very excited about it. And he sat down with Nelson Vales, the sort of legend of American cycling, uh, to chat about all kinds of stuff. Uh, first and foremost, being a, a, a black cyclist in the 80s and 90s, uh, and also about some cool projects that he's got going at the moment. So let's hear from Mike and Nelson. Nelly, I believe we call him. Nelson here. Hey, Nelson, it's Mike Better from uh, Cycling Tips. What's up, Mike? We're just uh, closing the windows and plugging in my phone, so I'm ready. Starting off, growing up in Harlem, your start in cycling was rather unique because your first foray into cycling came via a motorcycle club, correct? Ah, yeah. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. It was a local motorcycle club that uh, one of the guys had a really nice bike uh, at this motorcycle club, and he wasn't riding it, but it was always around, and so I asked if I could ride it. Of course, I was already familiar with bicycling because I had my own bicycles, but it was a really nice Peugeot at the time. And so he let me ride it, and I rode it a couple of times around Citrus Park. And, uh, you know, over time, let's say, he saw that I appreciated the bike more than he did, and uh, he let me have it. But, you know, the motorcycle club, you know, the social club that was next to a car garage and the hot dog stand, you know what I mean? So it was the neighborhood kind of area. And like I said, uh, kids going to and from, it was safe in Harlem during that time to me, you know, growing up as a kid. And so it was kind of nice that, like I said, uh, uh, hanging around, looking at the motorcycles and looking at the guy's bike and asking if I could ride it. And he let me ride it. Kind of like that. And so how did you get your nickname, the Cheetah? Ah, uh, how did I get my nickname, the Cheetah? That nickname was given to me on a Friday night racing series in Trexleton, T-Town, Pennsylvania. Um, most of the characters, most of the riders, top riders all had nicknames. And I came on the scene as a young up and coming cyclist and uh, showed I was pretty quick because I had a good jump, you know, good sprint. And I was nicknamed the Cheetah along with many famous names of cyclists, you know, and I can go on and on of all the nicknames that all the top cyclists had. So, I mean, look at Davis Finney, right? He was Davis Ash Register Finney, you know, things like that. So that's just a good, good example of nicknames. And your silver medal at the 1984 Olympics was a landmark moment as you were the first African-American cyclist to win an Olympic medal. After you won that medal, what did you see as the impact that had? I would think my impact didn't probably land until after. Uh, I would like to say well beyond the Olympics. Yes, during that time and era, 
a lot of TV time and it got a lot of people in that generation, young and old, into cycling. And it wasn't only because of me and my Olympic medal on the track, but you had someone like Alexi Grewal, you had Connie Carpenter Finney and Rebecca Twig winning the first medals in a cycling event. So that started the whole flame with the within the US team cycling at the Olympics then. You know, so uh, in each event, we won a medal. Well, I think we only didn't get a medal in the point race and the kilo. Uh, but all the other events, I think we medaled in uh, during that Olympic Games. And that was just, I would like to say it was not only me, it was the team that had an impact on the entire society, black and white, during that time. It wasn't until later that, you know, you recognize change of some of the African-American kids that was riding then grew up to have families and jobs and don't ride anymore versus some of the other ethnic groups, they still ride, even though they started families and a job and they still have a weekend warriorship of riding a bicycle. You know, so that's where the change has come. And so now I think more African-Americans uh, or more people of any ethnicity are learning now, you know, the outdoor freedom relearning as they were kids, the outdoor freedom of Cycling and just because you're on a bicycle, that doesn't mean you have to go race, you know, like that. So some people have to separate one from the other. Yeah, you like to go fast when you're a kid, but now that we're not kids and we're older, we want to be able to ride with our kids. Speaking of change, what are your thoughts on where the sport stands today, especially during this social and racial justice movement that we've seen over the last year? Well... With the uprising of a lot of interracial cycling clubs coming together, coming up, not only black cycling clubs, but interracial cycling clubs coming together uh, for cycling events and rides and just social fitness, not even social justice, let's just say social fitness. I see that now that demographic has, has really grown and recognized from the change of what people always saw, but now it's coming to the surface again. You know, since the 60s, it's coming to the surface again. But I think this new generation is more aware of cleaning up the problem, not pushing the problem underneath the rug, you know, kind of like that to hide it. How do you think we can move forward? It's everyone has to do their part and still love that person that's small minded and see different. Uh, and people only see differently because of their upbringing, parenting. Uh, where they live. Um, I wanna, I'm want i going to jump off the subject here a little bit on uh, so try to get our listeners to some comparison. You know, just imagine the kid in the South and he doesn't know black people, you know, and he only knows the bad things of what he knows. Uh, no positive good because he didn't have a black friend in school to play with. Things like that, okay? So that's the difference. Now look at the kid that grew up in the Bahamas and only has crystal clear water and nice days every day and uh, only no interracial everything because people come on the island from all ethnic backgrounds you know look at this upbringing of how welcoming that is versus the small-minded kid from the south i'm gonna point the finger from the south thinks of other colors you know outside of his area um so it's we that have to provide that arising to bring more cultural awareness to everyone again in America. Again, now we have a new administration, not to talk politics, but it seems like more and more cultural awareness is becoming among us 
as a melting pot of America. So transitioning a little bit, can you tell me about these fantastic illustrations that are coinciding with Black History Month? Yes, that's another, you know, that is so fun uh, to, it's an honor. It's an honor for me to be thought of in that light to, for someone to create the illustrations of someone's art, someone to take the time to think of me in that light, uh, and uh, the history that I had set forth for someone in the future. Um, I think it's great. And now, now Alex, I'm gonna call him Alex, uh, that's his name, the artist and the designer of the clothing, the cycling clothing. So people, uh, there's always gonna be something listed on his brand. But with that said, it's really cool that they reached out to me with some uh, with some different artworks, and and I let them decide. How's that? I let them choose and decide on what's what, and I just signed off on it. But it all goes to a good cause. So between their their cycling efforts and what they're putting forth, uh, it's all going to a good cause. So I'm happy to see that. And you've worked with this brand before, correct? So it's it's almost like an annual thing that uh, the uh, Ulster brand, uh, Alex and his team, they come up with a one-shot, must-have, limited-edition type of art, you know, with my name on it. So uh, the collaboration has really grown over time as we've gotten older. And uh, look at that. So, you, you know, we have two New Yorkers, but now I'm on the West Coast, and he's on the East Coast. We still communicate over time. Uh, we get to ride our bikes side-by-side side once a year at the Grand Fondo, New York. So we get to ride and not have to race. And we chat it up until one or the other gets a little tired or move forward or goes backward, you know. So that's the that's that's where this all came from. Of hey, how about if we do something that's sustainable? That you know, and we talked about this in bits and pieces before this whole Black Lives Matter started. So this was a couple of years ago. We had already started f- formulating an idea of what else can we do with his brand, and then look how it's grown. Before we move on, this week's episode is also brought to you by Quad Lock, the strongest and most secure smartphone mount for your bike. Your smartphone is your most powerful tracking device. With Quad Lock, you can use all the features of your favorite apps like Strava, Komoot, and so much more as you ride. Perfect for road cycling, bike packing, mountain biking, daily commuting, whatever you're doing. Quad lock is quick and easy to attach and detach. And thanks to its secure dual stage lock, it will hold strong over the roughest terrain, meaning your $1,000 iPhone will not launch itself onto the single track. For more information, visit quadlockcase.net slash cycling tips. That's quadlockcase.net slash cycling tips thanks to quadlock for sponsoring this week's episode all right it's time for nerd nuggets nerd alert 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 this is the new mini nerd alert uh for those of you who've been following along in our attempt to rename this segment it is now called nerd nuggets and today we're talking about sram's recent purchase of time pedals. Let's get into it. Well, our tech writer, Ronan McLaughlin, he put together a nice little speculative piece last week on uh, how SRAM had sort of quietly stopped 
selling PowerTap branded stuff, which is interesting because SRAM bought the PowerTap brand a while ago and doesn't typically have a history of buying brands and then just killing them. Uh, and now today we have the announcement that Time has Time Pedals, I should say, has been purchased by SRAM. So it's the latest brand to be purchased by the SRAM Corporation. And now I think we can put all the pieces together. And I think it's pretty safe to say that SRAM will, in very short order, be coming out with power meter pedals under the, I guess, SRAM and power tap or time label that are based on time pedals. And that'll be, I would have to think, uh, for road and mountain bike. And that could be a really cool development because, uh, you know, power tap pedals have been around for a while. They've been fairly popular. Um, there has been no power meter option for time pedals. And uh, I will be really excited to see these. Is this rampant speculation, or are we putting two and two to equal four? How, how do we? How exactly do we know this? Uh, you know, I, yes, you could call it rampant speculation, I guess. But uh, I, I think it's more likely that we are putting, you know, obvious pieces together because, like I said, I mean, SRAM does, SRAM didn't buy the PowerTap brand just to kill it off, and uh, one of PowerTap's biggest assets was its PowerMeter pedals, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were pretty popular, but maybe not like super popular. But in light of other Look KO uh, based power meter pedals like the Faveros, um, you know, those have proven to be exceptionally popular. And there is no option for time, uh, either on the road or mountain bike side. And if SRAM is able to come out with a really good and accurate power meter pedal for road and mountain bike that's based on times systems, then they could have a total winning platform here. Can we talk a little bit about why you would pick a power meter pedal over something else? I mean, you know, we feel like we've got power meters and all sorts of things now. By far the most popular would be crank-based of some sort. Uh, as you say, power tap itself, which was traditionally the hub-based power meter. I mean, I, I think I had a power tap in like 2008 or seven or something like that, like way, way, way back in the day. When, when you had power, right, Kaylee? Well, yeah, back when I had power, I had power tap. Uh, but that's been basically killed for the last couple of years. What what's the what's the incentive to to bring this back as a pedal based system, and in particular, why time? I guess. Well, I mean, looking at the format itself, I mean, there are a lot of advantages to a pedal based power meter system. I mean, first of all, anyone shopping for any sort of power meter on a bike can attest that they are not cheap and. If you happen to have more than one bike, you don't necessarily, well, if you happen to have more than one bike and you want power on your multiple bikes, then it's pretty expensive to outfit every one of those bikes with power meters. But with pedals, uh, they're pretty easy to transfer. Um, and as long as you don't have to like, you know, do some crazy calibration process every time you pull them off and put them on or anything, um, you know, it's easy to just buy one set of power meter pedals and then just swap them around. Um, <clears throat> And assuming the technology is done properly, you get really good left-right individual power meter data. Um, you know, they're they're pretty small. Um, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. But as far as putting them into the Time platform, Time as a pedal brand has been pretty interesting because, I mean, at least on the road, well, actually on the road and mountain bike, I mean, they, I'm not going to say that it was ever a dominant system, but for quite a long time, it was a really popular system because, I mean, in terms of performance, it has a lot to offer. On the road, um, you know, the stack height's really low, the platform's really big, the the free float's really good. Um, 
you know, the way you engage and disengage is really nice and smooth. I mean, it's just a really, really nice road pedal. I mean, the, the biggest criticism that people had for a really long time was that the cleats wore out really quickly. Um, and then on the mountain bike side, what was really nice was that you, you know, they were virtually impervious to mud just by virtue of the, the way the, the release and, and attachment mechanism works. Um, you know, the, the platform was scalable to a bunch of different types from like, you know, cross country to enduro and downhill. Uh, but the biggest thing on, on, for time off-road was just, you know, the, the way that it cleared mud and dirt. Um, and, you know, Crank Brothers offers that. Shimano is not quite as good, although they certainly have gotten better in recent years. Um, but that has been, I would say, the biggest draw for time there. But if you are a fan of those pedal systems on or off-road and wanted a power meter pedal, you just didn't have any options. What I do find sad is the separation between the time bikes and the time pedals, because obviously... Yeah, both French companies are close to my heart, of course. But yeah, it's sad to see yeah. well them not be as French as they previously were because there's been a lot of um, talk about who's buying that brand for quite some time because only, I'm saying, six months ago, there was a French, well, local company here in Annecy called What, I think it's called What Bike or something, W-A-T-T, What For Now Bikes. They, they had claimed that they'd bought the Time time brand themselves. And I actually even see it, saw mock-up designs of the bikes that were going to be made. So can we see things getting messy with the brand? Can we see? What do you reckon, James? I, don't, I mean, I, I think there is going to be a little bit of confusion. Well, the thing is, there's always been a little bit of confusion for, for the Time brand in general. Because, yes, I mean, Time has been a big brand in pedals for, you know, for decades now. Um, they also have had a really interesting frame business. And while they were both under the same name, I mean, the frame business certainly was never as successful as the pedal business. Uh, I mean, partially because you know, it was kind of all built around this pretty novel construction technology that um, does offer some technological advantages, I would say, but not necessarily ones that translate super well to the consumer facing stuff. Like they, they were never really able to say that, you know, like our bikes are lighter or stiffer or whatever. It was more like quality of construction sort of thing or like ride quality. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it is important to note that the time pedal business and the time frame business have, those have been split off. They were bunts, they were previously owned uh, completely by Rosignol. Um, and now, so yes, SRAM bought the time pedal business and the frame business has been purchased by a group that is uh, headed up by Tony Carklins, who was previously head of Orbea USA and more recently started up Allied here in the US. And now this is Tony's latest venture back into the bike business. So it'll be pretty cool to see what he does with time frames. But yeah, they're all still going to be branded under time. Um, but one is time sport and which is the pedal business i believe and then one is time bicycles i think is what it is and that's obviously the bike so is that a little it's bit confusing? confusing at all not <laughs> no no not at all but anyway they are they are now not just going to be separated in terms of you know kind of what they are but now they are owned by two completely different companies hmm. I, i'm kind of interested in the in the decision to purchase time on sram's part because You'd think that they could have just licensed like a look style pedal to do this with, right? I mean, that's what others have done. They've essentially licensed that design, stuck their power meter stuff in it, and sold it. So they obviously made the calculation that actually buying time 
would in the long run be a better financial decision than just licensing a design from look which means that my guess is that time pedal division was not particularly expensive <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> we could go dig that up but it's probably not all that expensive and they figured that they can get their money back over over x number of years by just owning it outright yeah i mean you know like i said earlier i mean there are a bunch of different look based power meter pedal options that are on the market right now um like i said i mean power tap was one and then the favero and you know you have even ones like xpedo and stuff like that um so there are all sorts of different or and, and garmin i should say um so there are all sorts of different look based power meter options on the market but you know the time pedal business has not been doing great um <clears throat> Now, Kaylee, as you as you said, I mean, I don't know how much the brand is worth right now. I don't know how much SRAM was able to buy it for. I'd imagine that they probably weren't willing to pay a premium for it. Um, and you know, if they're if they're able to get it for a reasonable amount of money, I think it personally it does sound like a good move because I would say that the time certainly the road pedal platform is it, it's kind of a shame that it's been kind of undervalued. Uh, and just sort of you know, lacking in visibility in the last few years because it, it's really, really good. I mean, like I said, I mean, it, it, it's a great pedal system. And to go, I, I think they're going to have a very good case to go head to head against look based power meter pedals because, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, like I've, I'm actually not a huge fan of the look KO pedal platform. Um, I mean, I think it, I think it works quite well, um, but I also think that Look has really needed to make some improvements on that that they just haven't bothered to make. Like, it, there's still like creaking issues, and like, you know, you can still get some like out of plane rocking that sort of thing. And you know, the Time pedal platform is awesome. Like, it's dead stable. It's super easy to engage and disengage. It feels really good. The floats really good. Like I said, I think SRAM could definitely make a play for this. So there you go. So this is interesting for teams that ride SRAM now that ride a different kind of pedal. For example, I know 2024 in the US, um, they ride SRAM and they have speed play pedals. Trek Segafredo is on Shimano pedals actually and sponsored by SRAM. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I said it. Um, <laughs> Just looking over the shoulder, it, look, it looks like you're checking with Taylor Swift on that fact, not the person yeah. off camera. <laughs> oh, is that, is that Taylor Swift back there? I thought that was a self-portrait. <laughs> oh my god james <laughs> that is the nicest comment anyone's ever given me so that's really interesting from from team from a team perspective of, of teams that are sponsored by sram and, and have tried to outsource their other kinds of pedals and also the cork power meter system that sram already owns yeah there's going to be a bunch of mix mixing and matching i would imagine and, and sram hasn't been super uh stern with teams about running sort of everything tip to tail in the way that shimano has when they sponsor uh you know shimano often requires your own pro your own uh yeah like the whole wheels components shoes everything shoes yeah. everything sram has been done a bit a bit less of that although you, you do often see sram and zip show up in the same place but yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, the, the big news, the news piece here is that we're saying that there is about to be a SRAM pedal-based power meter based on a time platform. That's that's going to potentially change the market because my guess is that they come in at a pretty reasonable price point. They're going to have to at this point because power meters have gotten so cheap over the last couple of years. It could could you know, every time a new player enters this market, it's better for consumers, right? Because the prices are going to go down, the options are going to go up. 
that's what that's the takeaway from this for me is that this is this is probably a pretty good thing. Well, and here's another thing to think about. SRAM has been very steadily and progressively building this uh, this kind of wireless ecosystem based on their own proprietary wireless, uh, I guess, language, I guess they call it area. You know, if if it really would not take a whole lot of speculation at all, it wouldn't it wouldn't it would be very surprising if they didn't do this, in fact. But if SRAM took those power meter pedals and incorporated all this wireless communication into them and then somehow linked that to, say, your gearing choices and um you know, sort of your speed or whatever, like, you know, it could really pull together some more information to provide some reasonable or to provide some usable data for people to, you know, perhaps improve performance. So, I mean, from a team perspective, from a coach's perspective, it would be super cool. And, you know, I think there's a lot of potential here to see what SRAM can do with that wireless data. I can't believe that you like those pedals. Really? (laughs) I really like time pedals on the road anyway, at least. <clears throat> no, not I'm not. I mean, I mean, I'm not a huge fan, but I think it is. It's kind of like shoes. Some shoes. I really love Mavic shoes. A lot of people don't love Mavic shoes, so I withhold my comments mm. for now. I'll say them offline. <laughs> I feel like there's a backstory here that we haven't that we haven't heard about yet. <laughs> I have personally gotten on quite well with with time pedals in the past, although I haven't used them in four or five years, probably. I, I think pedals are pedals are an interesting one because you have to you have to force people to change, right? Like they they've been using a system for a while generally, and no one wants to switch. Nobody wants to switch pedal systems, and so I think that's why we've seen a lot of these power meter pedal companies just license look because they know that a lot of people are used to it. Time, yeah, just not, not at least here in the in the U.S. I don't know about Europe, but not as popular. By a long shot. No, here, here in Europe, both I would say both Look and Time have lost their way over the past sort of 10 years. Like the last time mm. Look were a player on the scene was when, let's be honest, when 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 Look had the Delta cleat out, Time had some yellow and red big bulky things and it was either one or the other you used them. You didn't even really use the Shimano ones because they came along, I'd say, late 90s. But, yeah, it, it'd be nice to see them come back with a good product, have that name out there again. Because, yeah, the stuff Agreed. the stuff from them's been interesting, but just never sort of got anybody's imagination going. Not like the old time VRX, that quick step used to use. Oh, man, that was a... Oof, I had one of them still today. <laughs> Do you think we're ever going to see Shimano come out with with a power meter like this? Or I'm surprised they haven't yet, to be honest, because they have the technology. I mean they 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 have the technology built into sort of the 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 fit the fitting bike that they that they offer to to bike shops and fitters and coaches and that sort of thing. Um, but Shimano seems to have really invested more heavily in the crank in their crank based power meters which is a little bit disappointing because it has gone over great. I mean, they're having some accuracy issues and it seems to be mostly related to how those crank sets are put together. I mean, it's like a clamshell glued together thing and just based on variation with how they're assembled, you have some you have some variation with power meter numbers. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised to see that they haven't done it yet. But the thing with Shimano that's kind of weird is that, you know, people think of Shimano as being a component company, but they're almost they're almost kind of more of a, like an intellectual property patent company. Like they just develop all this stuff and they kind of just keep everything in their back pocket and release it when they feel it's appropriate. So, you know, 
am I surprised that they haven't done the power meter pedal market yet? Yes. Do I think that they could probably let that out into the wild whenever they feel like it? Yes. So we'll see. Because they bought Pioneer a while ago. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was basically very similar technology. And, you know, that does actually almost seem like a situation where they bought Pioneer to kill it. Uh, and they, they did use some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, they did use some of this stuff from Pioneer. And I think they've incorporated some of that technology into their own stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was they clearly were never going to be doing anything with the Pioneer brand. I mean, Shimano is not one to, you know, buy a brand and like, you know, market it as their and, you know, as the old brand name is that just not, not, not how it goes. Unlike SRAM, which has done that over and over and over and over again, right? All the way back to things like RockShox and Avid and Sax, et cetera. I mean, Sax. Yeah, this is this is their MO. So there you have it. Breaking news on the Cycling Tips podcast. There's going to be a time power meter pedal from we SRAM. We think. We're pretty sure. Probably. We're like 95 out of 100. Sure about that. All right, everybody. That's enough. Yeah, we're on about a power meter that may or may not exist, but we're pretty sure it does. Let's wrap it up for today. We're going to call it. We'll be back next week, as always. I'm very sad that we didn't announce my triumphant win in the in the second tips debate last week. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Can we, we can talk about it again in? next week. I need to celebrate a little bit. If you were not aware, and you know, you're just sitting there in front of your YouTubes, wondering what to click on this segment is actually available on youtube as well you can watch us talk about parameter pedals if you didn't want to just hear us talk about parameter pedals it's a it's a audio visual experience i think is what they call it a sensory extravaganza <laughs> a sensory extravaganza we've all we all have fantastic uh google meet backgrounds chosen except for shoddy who's just got his wall and a bike. No, this is my actual. Shoddy. This is my actual wall. What are you talking about? <laughs> and James with his uh, green yeah, me fish too. wallpaper, and Abby with her life-size portrait of Taylor Swift. This is the <laughs> Evermore you, album cover, like, actually. If you would like to see all of these things, head over to YouTube. Check out the Nerd Nuggets segment. That's it for us this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Cycling Tips podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Bye. Thank you.